Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Come on, LifePoint Church. How you guys doing this morning? That was a little weak. Let's try this again. Who's excited to be in God's house on a Sunday morning? That's what I'm talking about. Hey, it's so good to see all these smiles and friendly faces in the room. And for those of you who are worshiping with us online, thanks for joining us. If we've never met, my name is Andrew Garcia. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at LifePoint. And if you have yet to hear our senior pastor, our lead pastor, Danny Rivers, speak, please come back. He's an incredible communicator. You don't want to miss out on it. Now, this is a new series that we're kicking off today, and it's going to come across probably a little bit harder and heavier than some of our other series do. And so I'm just asking that you would just kind of open up your hearts and your minds today just to receive what it is that we're going to be talking about. Um, And I'm going to just jump right in. But in 1933, the threat of Nazi power was growing in Germany, and the national church was increasingly capitulating and cooperating with the Reich. Now, they were handing over loyalties that once belonged to Christ over to the Fuhrer. And Galen Barker, an expert on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German Lutheran theologian and pastor, made this observation. Hitler did not merely want to rule Germany politically. Rather, he wanted to control the hearts and souls of its citizens. At a very fundamental level, therefore, this was as much a religious battle as it was a political struggle. Now, as the takeover of the church accelerated and was being co-opted to push and support Hitler's agenda, Bonhoeffer decided that it was time to take a stand. You see, German pastors and their lack of preparation spearheaded and fueled Bonhoeffer's desire to create an underground seminary, to bring about stronger faith through training. Now, Bonhoeffer's approach was both simple and honestly kind of intense, He created a schedule of common life that centered around prayer, the scriptures, confessions, shared rhythms, and spiritual pursuits, right? This daily rhythm of life that he intended to be conducted with individuals, but in a community, focused and fueled for one goal, to build a new kind of vision of discipleship, one characterized by fidelity to Christ, regardless of the cost. You see, he believed that discipleship needed to be stronger than the current cultural formation. He believed that loyalty needed to be stronger than compromise. And so as copies of Bonifer's sermons and reports began to spread, the intensity of his discipleship began to draw backlash. They were asking, was this kind of formation really necessary? Wouldn't the pastors or people who went through this kind of intensity in terms of this common life get burnt out over time? And then would the pastors who came through, would they lose credibility or be marked or seen as too extreme by the communities they were meant to serve? One friend in particular, Wilhelm Nelson, decided that it was time to pay Bonifer a visit, intending to confront Bonifer on this view and pursuit of spiritualism. But Bonifer ended up taking Wilhelm on a boat and rowing to a shore nearby, he led Wilhelm up a hill and pointed across a clearing where they could see German planes taking off and landing, where they could see soldiers moving with hurried purpose through drills and formations. You see, Bonifer could see something 
that others were missing. A new generation of Germans in training, whose disciplines were formed for a kingdom of hardness and cruelty. He understood that if the Nazis were to be defeated, then it would require a force of stronger discipleship and formation to put the opposition to bed. And he was right. And the halls of history share his story. While Hitler's agenda has been put to shame, the ground and the seeds sown by Bonifer and his small posse of pastors has continued to shape Christendom and discipleship to this day. But even though World War II ended, a war for the soul continued. You see, too many of us have fallen asleep to the war that is being waged against us today. There are three enemies that are at work to sabotage our peace, three enemies that we need to learn to recognize and resist that we're gonna be exploring throughout this series, the devil, the flesh, and the world. And the strategy that's being leveraged against us has been simple and effective. You see, deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are being normalized within a sinful society. Deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized within a sinful society. You see, ideas that have been laid out by our adversary, the devil that play to the disordered desires that we have within our body, the flesh, that are normalized in a sinful society, which is the world around us. This is the framework and the foundation that we're gonna be building off of over the next several weeks. Because the war that is weighing waste to our souls is not happening with guns or with bombs. It is an all-out war leveraging lies. And the problem is less that we tell lies and more that we have begun to live them. We have let false narratives about reality into our minds and our bodies, and it is beginning to wreak havoc on our souls. And so this day, today, the start of our new series based off the book, Live No Lies by Pastor John Mark Cromer is going to be intense. It's going to be raw. It's gonna be real. And we're not gonna lie to you. This is a series that is going to rub against the framework of our lives, what we believe and why we believe it. And remember in, in class in high school or in college when you got the opportunity to go to that one teacher where you knew you had to take notes and oh my gosh, what a joy it was to take notes. This is one of those series. This is one of those series which you can't just passively sit and soak in information. We need to lean in and be intentional to the truths that we're exploring. And what I'm gonna ask is that any reservations or walls that you might have walked in with, that you would for a moment just let your guard down. Because we don't realize how many preconceived contexts and ideas that we walk into and through our life with. And it's gonna get a little philosophical. We're gonna explore some boundaries that maybe you've never considered. This is not your normal series. We have to lean in. Because if we were honest, if we were willing to have a moment of transparency with ourselves and with others, I would wager that almost every person in this room can sense a tension rising within their soul. That you can sense this opposition, this unseen opposition that seems to be working against you. A darkness that seems to be rolling over our homes, our hearts, our city, our community, our country. And I know this might sound crazy, but we have been and are being formed. 
We have been in our being conditioned, formed by lies that we have accepted as truth that we have begun to build our lives on. Narratives and identities that form our personal identities in ways that are leading us to dark places like we never imagined. And I know that sounds like a street preacher with a bullhorn kind of talk, but listen, please hear me out before you shut me out. Because if we're going to live a life without lies, then we need to take a step back and reconsider things that we have assumed. For instance, like what is truth? How does truth come about? So here's our working definition. Reality or that which corresponds to reality. Truth would be reality or that which corresponds to reality. Truth is reality, which would then mean that lies would be unreality. Now, that seems and feels pretty straightforward until you add in the human heart, right? The human psyche, which brings an added layer of complexity. And this is where it gets philosophical. Because what shapes our understanding of reality? What shapes our understanding of reality? Ideas. And ideas are simply our assumptions about concerning reality. You see, we live in a world that is full of ideas. And every day we leverage faith in an idea to bring about a reality that we hope, desire, or crave to see happen within our life. We all religious and non-religious alike, navigate our worlds by and through faith. Faith in ideas like democracy and human rights, inequality and equity and freedom. All of these ideas that intersect in our mind, creating this mental map by which we navigate our present realities. And the bittersweet reality of the human mind is that it can hold ideas that correspond to reality, truth, and correspond to ideas that don't correspond to reality, lies. You see, we have the capacity to envision what is and what isn't. And our capacity, this imagination, is what makes us a dominant player amongst our species. Because we are the only creatures who have the capacity to imagine what isn't but could be. And while there's this negative side to unreality, the possibility to believe in a lie or be disillusioned, the positive side is our capacity for imagination. But imagination is both the source of our genius and our Achilles heel. Imagination is both the source of genius and our Achilles heel. This is what establishes and fuels all of human creativity, from writing to baking to architecture to artistry to programming. Because we have the capacity to hold an idea in our mind and then through our bodies bring that idea to life. We have a capacity to take an idea in our mind and then through our bodies bring and create a new reality within our world. And so when we believe truth, ideas that correspond to reality, we show up in our present in a way that we begin to flourish and thrive. We learn to risk, resist, respond, and renew our lives in a way that is congruent with the creator's wisdom and good intentions for his creation. But when we believe lies, when we live disillusioned, embracing ideas that are not congruent with reality, with the reality of God's wisdom and loving design, then tragically, and what we see happening today is that we struggle. We struggle to thrive. And we can't rush past this. 
Because we all have co-opted ideas concerning love, success, marriage, relationships, identity, progress, politics, freedom, power, money. The list is long. And the current American motto could best be described by the words of the wise Scandinavian princess, Elda from Frozen. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. And the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. We are a people with more freedoms than we've ever had. We are a people with more money than we have ever made, more access to the world than we could have ever imagined. And yet all of the stats, the science, and the research would show that our happiness, our mental health, our level of life is deteriorating and in the decline. You see, the problem with Elsa's mantra that has become the American's ideological pursuit is that reality does not adjust itself to our illusions. Reality does not adjust itself to our illusions. There are ideas that have become socially acceptable, socially normal in our world for reasons that are now too complex to have rational conversations on. But that doesn't mean that we should keep accepting ideas at face value. We need to take a step back and reconsider some truths that are actually lies. We need to be willing to have and grow comfortable with uncomfortable questions and conversations that might lead us to uncomfortable destinations. And one of the gifts of the digital age is that we all have access to research. Scientific studies that have no bias, that are just looking to present information. And so I want to share a few with you. And, 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 and if these things are being played out in your life right now, it's not personal. I'm not looking to convince you to go one direction or another. Simply, I want to make a statement about the research that has been found and, and take a, ask us to just reconsider for a moment, could we have gotten something wrong and what can we do to begin to get it right? Divorce. This idea of liberation from the patriarchy has been shown to disproportionately benefit men. It's considered a traumatic event for all ages and affects the life of those who are impacted throughout their lifetime. It is directly tied to a rising number of people who struggle to develop intimate and healthy relationships in adulthood. Cohabitation before marriage. A common practice for those inside and outside the church. The stats are showing us that couples who cohabitate are less likely to get married and more likely to get divorced if they do, while often developing long-term trust issues. The sexual revolution, the emergence and acceptance of one-night stands in multiple partners, research on the hormones that are within the body, oxytocin and veopressin, which are released during intimacy, bind us to other people and bring about emotional attachments. And it seems that the more partners that you have, the less your body, the less your body has the capacity to be intimate in the future. Abortion. This political hot topic has well-documented but not often talked about data points because the research shows that there are effects that are detrimental to women's mental and physical health. Sexual reassignment surgery and hormone therapy to assist those who identify as transgender is not benefiting their emotional health as was hoped and anticipated, which was one of the main driving forces and rationales behind it. Pornography. 
which has become morally acceptable. From 2014, 29% said it was okay, and in 2018, it skyrocketed to 43%. Porn is becoming increasingly violent, misogynistic, a multi-billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry that is intentionally targeting children. And while the Me Too, hashtag Me Too movement dominated the headlines, Fifty Shades of Grey, the trilogy, and the movie grossed highest sales than ever before. The freedom, the liberation that we have been sold out to, that we have chosen to accept, looks more and more and more and more like enslavement. These ideas our acceptance of these assumptions about reality because we have allowed them to go unchecked are leading us down paths, creating narratives and molding our identities in a way that is deteriorating, not bringing our life to the flourishing that we willed and hoped. But this war on ideas, it's not new. Turn with me to Genesis. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you you surely will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The serpent, the evil one, the one we call the devil, didn't come to Eve with some kind of physical weapon. He came to Eve with an idea, an idea that was a lie. And all he needed was a small opening, and nothing can be more dangerous than an idea. He didn't have to do anything else. Her imagination took over from there. What God had formed, the enemy was looking to deform. Where God had brought and created life, the enemy was looking to, bring, to, to, to destroy and bring death. And in John, Jesus goes on the record with an intriguing statement. While he's having this conversation with the religious elite of his day, the Pharisees, Jesus tells them, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, this is interesting to me. Because Jesus is making three observations that we should, we should kind of clue into. First, there is indeed a devil. Throughout scripture, we find this creature that has many names, Satan, the evil one, the tempter, the deceiver, the destroyer. But regardless of the name, there's a force, a being that Jesus believes is moving against him. Secondly, the devil's goal is to bring death that since the beginning of time, he has had one end in mind, that he is seeking to bring about death. And another time, Jesus goes on the record and says this, the thief, being Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came. 
but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And how does the devil do it? His method and his means are lies. He is the point of deception. And if you grew up like I did, unintentionally, we were taught to think that the devil was behind every rock and stone, behind every corner, nook, and cranny. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, right? You, bad, bad luck or coincidence, it's like the devil made me do it. No, Johnny, you're dumb. Like, <laughs> we acted and we believed that the devil was somehow God's equal and opposite in power. That's not true. Our enemy does not have any power, but he is cunning. God is all-powerful. He's not on God's level. And unfortunately, this mindset of blaming the devil for silly things has caused so many people to just push him away, sweep him under the rug as if he doesn't exist to begin with. And what's even more intriguing is Jesus' response to the Pharisees reveals something deeper. Because Jesus isn't mentioning demons or illness or tragedy when he's talking with them. Rather, he is looking at their conversation and saying and focusing on an intellectual debate over how they are living their life. The thought pattern of these leaders focused on this days between truth and lies. Reread this. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus recognized there is a very real and unseen intelligence that is at war with God, looking to corrupt all that is beautiful, good, and true. And Jesus is calling out the devil's endgame to drive our souls in society into ruin by leveraging lies and deception. And he does it by selling us on ideas that aren't congruent with God's reality for our lives that are forming and shaping us. You see, ideas have become the spiritual entities that enslave our souls. Ideas, not tyrants. And we have a collection of ideas that we have come to believe, that we have leveraged our lives on, that form an ideology that is leading us down roads that we never intended to go. And Jesus is trying to bring the focus, the real enemy of the heart, into perspective. Because these ideas have created an ideological framework by which we rinse and repeat our choices and habits based on unchecked assumptions to bring out realities that we hope to have. Ideas that, that, that form ideologies where we are attempting to find metaphysical meaning to life in a way to usher in a utopia, but without God. Taking partial truths and making them the whole truth. Partial truths and making them the whole truths, which end up imprisoning the heart, mind, body, and soul and driving us to darker places that promise freedom, but bring us chains that promised hope, but bring us darkness, that don't expand our soul, but actually shrivel and dry us up from the inside out, which brings us full circle. Because what do we do about truth? Where can truth be found? How do we come about truth? And might I suggest that if all else has failed, start with Jesus. If all else has fallen through, 
Start with Jesus. You see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And another time, Jesus says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know, know the truth, and the truth is what will set you free. You see, our enemy has weaponized ideas, and it's leveraging lies, but Jesus has come with a weapon of truth, a truth that you can know. And we can miss this in the narrative often concerning faith and knowledge because if you grew up like I did, somehow faith and knowledge were somehow opposing ends of each other, that you couldn't have knowledge and also have faith. But Jesus and the writers of Scripture never leveraged truth that way. They never leveraged faith and knowledge that way. They always said that you can know the truth and the truth and your faith can be based on knowledge. They're not opposites. They coexist with each other. And Jesus defined life as a form of knowledge. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ in whom you have sent. And a lot of us, we can get mixed up and thinking that faith is something that's reserved for religious people, forgetting and missing out on the truth that all of us, regardless of who you are, operate your life by some kind of faith. Because faith in something is simply to live as if it is true. Faith in something is simply to live as if it is true. It's putting trust into something or someone and then remaining loyal to it. And so the question shouldn't be, do you have faith? Rather, who or what have you placed your faith in? And then is your faith based on a knowledge of reality? Are the choices and actions that you're making bringing about the end that you were aiming for? Because if not, then I would encourage you to take a step back and reconsider. I would encourage you to take a step back and give the way of Jesus a chance. But there's something you have to know. Faith alone does not form you. Faith alone will not form you. The hard truth that Bonifer recognized back in World War II is that our world has been hard at work to form us. The world is hard at work forming us. And if anyone is going to have the strength, the power, the capacity to push back, their formation their formation in the things that they've placed faith in is going to need to be just as intense. And formation isn't just some, some, some spiritual pursuit. It's not just some religious word. We are all being formed. We are all becoming a person, moving in a direction for better or for worse. But all Christ-like formation is going to be counterformation to the, wor- to the enemies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. You see, our world has been forming us since the moment that we took our first breath. We, we didn't walk into the world with a blank canvas and a clean slate. By the time you become aware of that, you've already been fed ideas that you didn't pretext, context that you didn't even know existed. Which means that if we need to find truth, we need to deconstruct some things underneath the light of truth and then reconstruct it with truth. And truth is found in a faith 
placed and exercised in Jesus. You see, the scripture writer said this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, lies, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The word Gentiles in this passage sets everything up. Because it was simply a word leveraged to use those who were separated, who did not live underneath God's law. The lies, the lives that they were living were based on lies that had alienated them from God. And the writer of Ephesians is telling his audience, is pleading with us, choose Jesus, follow Jesus. And when you do, you need to begin to learn how to resist the old self. That there is this tug of war that takes place within us between who we are and who Jesus gives us access to be. And that when we say yes to following Jesus, it's, it's God, I need you to help open up my eyes. Give me an awareness of the ideas that are deforming me, destroying me, and give me an awareness of who you are and the life and truth that I should be living. Reform me. Restore me, because we've all been doing, seeing, saying, living with certain ideas for so long that to be formed into the image of Jesus, which is the pursuit of any believer, is going to feel like and require work. It's going to feel like and require work we need. We need to take a step back and reconsider all the things that we have believed as truth. And hold them against God's word and find what is truth based on what you say. And I won't lie. There is risk involved when you take a step of faith. Not because God is not going to come through. But we are more deformed and damaged and broken than any of us can possibly imagine. We are so much more broken than we can possibly see with the naked eye. And when you follow Jesus, faith can often feel like you're losing parts of yourself. And you are. Jesus is cutting off the dead weight, the brokenness, the bitterness, the old life, the damages done to you, the words that were spoken to you, the labels that were placed on you, the words that are confusing you and leading you down places that you've said you've taken as a part of your identity and he's looking to deconstruct that, to reconstruct you into the life that is found in and through him. Faith feels like you're losing a part of yourself, but that's okay because the risk is worth the reward. Our brokenness, our bitterness, our chains, our bodies have endured more heartbreak and harm than we can possibly see. 
The healing that God needs to bring in our lives, through our lives, is usually a slow and painstaking process. It's moment by moment, word that was spoken over you to word that was spoken over you, memory by memory. It's a slow, painstaking process. And if you're in this space today and maybe you need a miracle, God does do miracles. He can clean the slate in a moment. There are exceptions. But what I've noticed is the rule and the spirit of honesty is that most often God is working on us slowly over time. And we can only risk a step of faith when we learn to respond according to God's word. We can only risk a step of faith when we learn to respond according to God's word. And how do we do that? I think Bonifer has it right. We need to learn to begin to center our lives around prayer, the scriptures, confession, shared rhythms, and spiritual pursuits. This is where we need to begin to focus our life and our energy. We need to embrace daily rhythms of life conducted in community, built on a new vision of discipleship, one that is characterized by fidelity to Christ regardless of the cost. And if all this feels too much, because it can, then just start by reading God's word. Because when we open up God's word and read it, the lies that we have begun to build our life on, the lies, the ideas that we've sold ourselves out to, God will begin to gently nudge and nurture us and reform us in our minds to see the truth and expose his power and his presence and the real life that you can have. We have to let God's word renew us and a shift begins to slowly take place where we realize that ideas that we were clinging onto that we thought were going to bring us freedom in life that are actually bringing us death, that we can actually let that go. And that God's not going to leave that hole empty. He's going to fill it with himself, his love, his presence, his power, his community. Where we can begin to live above the waves when it once felt like we were drowning and struggling. He can pull us back to life. Following Jesus is not about having life hacks. It's not good tips and tricks to good living. It is about obedience to the living words and life of Jesus. And today is the day where we can start to live our life without lies. Where maybe for the first time, you can invite Jesus into your life or maybe you just need to restart and refresh because you have gotten so off course of the vision that God had for you pursuing yourself that you need him to step into your picture again. When we lean into his word and inquire of, require, acquire a vision of the formation that he's trying to bring onto our lives, he opens us up to the awareness of the lies, the ideas that have deformed us, that have been swirling around us. And when we begin to take him at his word and put into practice his vision of formation, that brings about transformation in our lives, slowly over time, making us more and more and more like him. And I want to end with this. Faith is not belief without proof, but trust without reservations. Faith is not belief without proof, but trust, trust without reservations.
that if God said it, he will do it. That if it's in his word, that he will remain true to it. Because too many of us are walking through life broken and hurting and hopeless. Walking in through life with our heads down in shame because of abuse and damage that was done to us by decisions that we made or decisions that other people made to us, pulling us down, breaking our spirit. But when Jesus went to the cross, he took on that shame and that suffering. (laughs) He felt the weight of the world in that moment, the weight of our brokenness, our, our sinfulness in that moment and took it on himself and said, I will pay a price and carry, carry the weight and burden of something that I, wa- I want to give you freedom from and put it to death in this moment so that way you can experience life and life eternal. But you have to choose me. You have to be willing to let an exchange take place for him first over your life instead of you. Would you be willing Do you want to live a life of no lies? I want to pray. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that the words, God, that have come forth from these lips, God, that were made of dirt, God, words that often, God, are inadequate to express and understand, God, who you are and the mystery of your greatness and your majesty, but that, God, today, Lord, that that these words have somehow found fertile hearts and soil. God, help us, Lord, to be receptive to your word and your truth. God, help us, God, to recognize that what we're doing right now in life is not working. Our world, it is eating itself from the inside out. People are not happy. People are broken and they're desperate and they're hurting People, God, who are committing suicide because they can't see hope. People, God, who can't experience peace. People who need to experience love in the richest way, God, but that only comes through relationship with you and an understanding of what you have done on our behalf. God, let your power and your presence that is in this room right now break through our walls, the hearts, God, the hardness of our hearts, that we could see you moving, active, evident in our world, in our life. God, that we would be willing to risk, God, a step of faith to trust your word, to allow your word to begin to renew us. God, that you would come through that you would remain true to your promises, that you would give us freedom from the chains that are holding us back from the ideas, God, that we've been clinging to concerning love, money, success, sexuality, relationships, God, power, that you would loosen those chains and that you would say there is a way to have freedom like you have never experienced before. But start with Jesus. Help us, Lord, to live a life without lies, a life that is free, from burden and chains, a life that is only found in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Can we give it up for him in this place?
Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.